All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raph Giallo here alongside James McMahon of RT Sport Online. We'll be talking about how Vera Pau's Ireland are getting on in the USA as the World Cup build-up continues. We'll also chat about the latest SSE or Tristy League action after a weekend where there was fr- action on the Friday and the Monday in the Premier Division. And then the Champions League quarterfinals kick off this week as well. And we've got one live game on RT2 and the RT player. But uh, to do all that and more, we're going to be joined by Paul Carey and Conan Byrne. Lads, how are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How was uh, the Easter weekend for you? Very good, yeah. yeah. I was uh, I was over at Tottenham and Brighton for the Premier League game so uh, very nice experience Raph amazing stadium probably mm, yeah. the most impressive I've been in I, I couldn't get over it and a pretty juicy game as well yeah yeah it wasn't bad um, I think the, I could notice the Brighton players weren't too happy with some of the refereeing decisions and then I don't know <laughs> did you catch the uh, what happened at the beginning between the two managers it started in the warm-ups there was, there was certainly a bit of needle between both of the managers they're both Italian so I'm not sure if they've come across each other's paths previously before but it carried on into the game yeah. You know, throughout the match, there was there was needle between the the two sidelines. I ended up with both managers being sent off, but yeah, it kind of added. There was a bit of everything to it. There was a lot of VAR decisions, disallowed goals. Uh, Son's goal was sitting right behind. It was incredible. But uh, yeah, good day out. And uh, in terms of the VAR decisions, because um, we all like, I'm, I'm I suppose I see it all from the the aspect of TV. But what's it actually like in the stadium in terms of the information you're getting, or how much understanding you can take from it? Because it seems to be it's a frustration from a supporter. Um, an onlooker point of view. Yeah, I think the real difference between watching a game at home and, and being in the stadium is that you're not seeing the clips back. So you have very little understanding of, of what it is they're looking at or how close or how far somebody might be offside. But they they had a few clangers on the weekend. I mean, Matoma's goal could have easily been given. There was one that came off McAllister. They gave us handball. And then Hoiberg has felled Matoma in the box, which was an absolute stonewall penalty. And you're kind of scratching your head when you watch it back, wondering how it wasn't given. But to be honest, it really takes away from the experience in, in the stadium. You know, you don't really know whether you're celebrating goals or, or you're waiting for something to be clarified or, or cleaned up. So I don't really like it, but I, I can see the need for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, let's uh, get started on the first, the women's international friendly. So Ireland, of course, continuing their build up to this summer's uh, historic World Cup appearance and no harder test in terms of friendlies than a couple of games against the United States on Saturday night. They lost 2-0 um, to uh, goals that were scored by Emily Fox and a penalty then from Lindsay Horn. And I suppose, Jim, coming out of this, uh, when you look at the overall performance, how Ireland did, there is a sense of positivity from it. Yeah, it, it, yes, it's a defeat, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you can when you take in who the opposition are and how close the game was for large periods, it's uh, it's pretty good from the Irish point of view. Yeah, Raph, I mean, Ireland certainly had chances in the opening half. Kira Caruso and Heather Payne had chances. And, and I thought for about 60 minutes of the game, we were we were more than competitive. Um, I thought in the last half an hour, we were probably pinned back a bit, you know, didn't really create much going forward. Uh, uh, they got a penalty. People said it was harsh at the time, but when you look at it, I think the co-commentator commentator in RT said it was outrageous. But when you, when you on mature reflection look back on it, uh, that definitely was a penalty. Yeah, look, I mean, definitely. I mean, people have talked about the States. I think they did lose three games on the trot back in October. So whether yeah. they're, they're, they're at the peak that they were, you know, I don't... I, don't think they're favourites for the tournament come come the summer, but still, I mean, I think we'll have again we'll have a better indicator letter tonight uh, as well, even more indication as to how they how they are 
progressing when we faced them for the second time in three days. So, you know, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, if anybody's listening to this, so the second game, it's happening in Missouri. Oh, right. and yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's going to be live on RT tonight. Now, if this is if you're look, listening to this on Tuesday, it's going to be Wednesday early hours, Tuesday mm. in America, Wednesday early hours here, 25 past midnight is when the coverage starts. And if you don't, uh, if you if you have to get to bed early for whatever reason, you can still see it, catch it on the RT player afterwards. Yeah. But but let's listen to uh, Vera Powell, the Ireland manager, afterwards. She was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the match in Austin. Vera, what are the learnings from that 2-0 against the world champions? But you were in that game for such a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, we had uh, nine uh, undefeated row, uh, eight clean sheets, and we knew that would end uh, today. But uh, what I've said in the group is that I'm really proud because we were aiming to make a huge step in our development uh, and uh, huge compliments for, for all the players in the way that we've done it. How impressed were you with Sinead Farrelly's performance for the hour or so that she played? Yeah, to be honest, because of her, we could play the way that we did. And you could also see the difference. The moment you miss the play that can keep the ball for that little moment. From that moment, it was a storm over us, so we couldn't get away anymore. Kira Caruso, she had a, a tough job tonight to have to play up front. She tried to hold the ball up, tried to run the channels as well. She did well. Yeah, she did really well. But again, we could only play the system because we had that player who could hold the ball. And we were wait, waiting on a play like Sinead. And, uh, well, after the first training, we said, we're just going to do it and get her in. And, uh, and I think that that balance makes other players also better performing. And that makes that even against the world champion, you can have a game. How disappointed were you with the concession of the first goal, though? Because we probably should have closed her down earlier than... Well, we didn't, really. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, uh, but it started earlier. And... Uh, it started with the long balls that we were giving, then you give the momentum away, and then you give away that you get grip on the, on, on the game. You can wait then for a moment that one person is not uh, quick enough. Um, so I think that it's more our mistake, that we were not on the same sheet to keep playing the way, the way we started the game, uh, and therefore giving the ball away constantly and unnecessarily. Penalty seemed a little harsh. Uh, from our side, yes, but uh, we have a referee to decide, we need to accept that. So what are you hoping to get from the next game now? And will you will you change around the personnel a bit more? Will Sinead play again? <laughs> uh, we go, are going to recover first. <laughs> uh, recover very well, do a, uh, do a very good recovery session and, and treat them constantly because we have only two, uh, two days in between. We have to fly immediately now tonight. Um, so uh, we will build on what we've done today. All right, so that is Ireland manager Vera Powell speaking in Austin after the 2-0 defeat to the United States, obviously the first of the of the doubleheader. And one of the things she was talking about there was um, uh, Sinead Farrelly, who had won her first cap. Now, she's 33. She was retired for about um, six years. But I think her crucial role, Conan, and you can probably tell me this as a midfielder, uh, you know, when you're under the cosh, the the need to have a player who can, you know, put their foot on the ball and, uh, you know, dictate play, slow things down. It's massively important to take pressure away. Absolutely. But I was just so impressed with her first touch um, in the game, getting the space that she created with that first touch was well was much needed. Um, her awareness, the fact that you can see a pass. um and very interesting comments by Vera Powell. I think the setup of the team was magnificent in the sense of the, the personnel that she that she assigned for the team. Um, Kira Cruz up front obviously plays at London City Lionesses, not a, a, a household team, I suppose, in the Women's Super League. But yet she's played up 
up top in the sense that she can bring others into play. The likes of Denise O'Sullivan and Kayla McCabe thought she played the line really, really well. And now I think Lucy Quinn could possibly coming in now this evening and like an audition for her to see how she can cope with the that step step up in class. So really interesting to see how she gets on tonight if she gets if she gets a start. But yeah, all in all, I think it was a really, really good performance from Ireland against against USA, as we know. Really, really good team. And um, yeah, a lot of positives to take from it. Yeah, and let's listen to Sinead Farrelly. She was also speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the game in Austin. Sinead, congratulations on, on winning your first cap for Ireland. I'm sure many people in County Cavan will be very pleased tonight. <laughs> yeah, I feel very honoured and proud. And um, it was like kind of a surprise that I'm starting. So I just, it's been a whirlwind, but I'm really excited. And I'm glad the first one's over with. So the nerves are a little bit better. Um, physically, it must have been very difficult. You've been out of the game for so long. Yeah, I couldn't play a full 90, which is fine. I just gave my all, and um, I felt okay during it. But as the as the time was going, I was like, okay, I'm getting tired now, and now my body's shutting down. But I'll recover. I'll be back for next time. It'll be good. Yeah. Well, it's an extraordinary story. You've been out of the game for so long, but physically, and obviously, you proved today with your football ability, you're you're well in there. Oh, thank you. I was I was freaking out before, um, but I think once I'm there, you know. Even though it's been seven years off, I've trained like 15 years with the ball, so it just it's like riding a bike, so it came back to me. How do you think your dad feels about this? I think he's really proud. Yeah, I'm excited. And it would be a fairy story almost if you would manage to make the plane for Australia and go with these girls to the World Cup. I know. It would be insane. I'm trying to just think one day at a time, but that's definitely a long-term goal of mine, and that would just be so wild if I was able to do that. And I'm sure they've been very welcoming to you since you've come in. Yeah, they've been amazing. And honestly, Ireland's always felt like a second home, if not home, to me and my family. So, And it's the same with the girls and the team. They've been so welcoming. So, What was it like for you tonight, then, playing against the United States, the country of your birth? It was weird. I was nervous. Um, but now that I'm, like, wearing the Irish jersey, I just got to represent my team and know my role and just show up and play my hardest. So that's all I focused on. Do it all again next Tuesday. Exactly. Well, Quick okay. turnaround. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was Sinead Farley speaking to Tony O'Donoghue in Austin after that first game. And potentially she could be starting tonight, uh, Wednesday early hours, as I said, on RT2 and the RT player. But um, Paul, in terms of the approach Ireland have taken and something that paid off before the qualifying campaign was to play friendlies against tough opposition paid off in terms of them qualifying. And then now they've drawn with China and Spain a creditable you know, albeit a defeat, but a creditable performance against the United States in Austin. We'll see how they get on tonight. And then they have France just before they go. Also, they have Zambia, which I think is sort of related to the fact they have Nigeria in their group as well. But this approach of taking on teams that are higher ranked, uh, it, for the most part, it is something that will probably stand them in good stead by the summer. Yeah, and I, I think we have to respect the choice of games that, that FIRA has, has made, Raph. Not only this double header, but even going back towards the friendlies that they would have played against the likes of Sweden and Australia, where it would have been easier maybe to try build confidence against lesser nations, get a couple of wins under the belt. I like what she's done here. I think when you look at the group that we've been drawn in in the World Cup, we're playing two teams who are ranked within the top 10. So why not spar against the USA? over a double header um, and get, I guess, a feel of how it is we're going to set up because it's probably going to be very similar when we play against the likes of Australia and Canada. So I, I respect the decision. I think it would have been easier to pick lesser nations. But when you look at the group as well, 
um, you know, we play Australia in our first game. And then I think five days later, we play Canada. We have to travel between Sydney and Perth. So it is very good preparation that we can kind of play this double header against a top ranked team and then keep, I would you know, suggest that the starting 11 is going to be very similar than we had the other night and just get a feel for the players and how we're going to set up and, and just have that practice, I guess, heading into the competition. But yeah, I mean, she's she's been very consistent in playing top nations team. I think the progress is there to see how comfortable we were playing against top nation team um, the other night. And it'll be very interesting to see how we get on again on, on Wednesday morning. But I think the players have progressed. I think the, the team has progressed. I think bringing the likes of Sinead Farley into the team is only going to strengthen the, the choice of selection that we have and maybe the style of play that we can maybe see within the team. But we won't see too many changes, I don't think. I, I wouldn't imagine that the style of play is going to change much between now and the World Cup. And it's just seeing about what are the little additions we can make, whether it be personnel or little maybe um, patterns of play within the game to see how we can best set ourselves up for, for the World Cup. Yeah, and Jim, I suppose the final point before um, we talk about the SSE or Tristy League, it's the, when you look at the venue there in Austin, the Q2 mm. Stadium and the kind of raucous United States fans, that's something they're going to come up, like obviously they've got a huge back in here in Tala, but on the road, um, you know, playing in bigger and bigger venues, that's something they're going to face going when they're, especially when they take on Australia in that first game. So it's crucial to, I suppose, get used to that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, Raph. I mean, I think in the opening game against Australia, are they expecting close to maybe 80,000 uh, at that game on the 20th of July? Now, I'd, I'd expect there would be quite a few Irish people there, maybe hopefully Irish people traveling, but obviously Irish people that are living in um, Australia as well. So, you know, I, I think that's the benefit. But like, I mean, that's that's what you expect, Raph, when you're playing in a big tournaments like this. I mean, you are going to I mean, this is the this is the top this is the the, you know, the top of the tree and all that. But um, yeah, like just to go back to Farley, just to final mention on her, I, I think it was, she has that extra bit of, she, she just adds that little bit of guile that perhaps that it's just a little kind of, not quite cherry on the top of the tea, on, on the top of the cake, but it's just that extra layer that I think we've been missing for the last uh, couple of games or for the last year or so with this Irish team. So um, hopefully, I mean, at 33, she's uh, she's certainly a welcome addition to the side. Yeah, most forward. certainly. Yeah, most certainly. And just in time for the World Cup as well. But anyway, let's yeah. turn our attentions to the SSE or Tristy League Premier Division. So on Friday night, Bohemians uh, lost 2-0 at home to Shamrock Rovers, who um, having got up, got their first win of the season the previous week, it's now 2-2 two two, um, with Neil Ferrugia scoring the opener and Rory Gaffney then adding the second in the uh, in the second half as well. And then Derry City, and this is something we're going to talk about, their home form is turning out to be a bit of an issue, but they were down to 10 men with McJanet getting sent off. But before that draw, the United had a player sent off and draw to 1-0. One, up at the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium. And then Sligo Rovers got a very good 2-1 win away to Dundalk. St. Pat's, uh, trash Cork City 4-0. And then UCD and Shelburne drew nil all. And then on Monday night, Cork City, after uh, that setback on the Friday night, they bounced back with a 1-0 win at home to Dundalk. Derry lost at home again to Bowes with a Dean Williams penalty in the 66th minute. And then St. Pat's won 3-1 at home to draw the United, or uh, 3-1 away, sorry, to draw the United with uh, Chris Forrester scoring twice. Shelburne beats Sligo Rovers 2-1. And then Shamrock Rovers, uh, third win on the trot now, 3-0 win home to UCD with Graham Burke scoring twice. And uh, Jack Byrne uh, with a little bit of help from the goalkeeper adding a third there. But um, something that I wanted to talk about first, uh, Conan, was uh, Stephen Bradley's comments after the Derby match. And it was in regards to Neil Ferrugia. So... 
um in the post-match interview like i was at i was at the game so i was uh i was part of that kind of media um huddle kind of uh talking to him afterwards and he was really talking up neil Faruja and his potential to, to play for ireland in the future um Faruja has already been part of a standby list back in november for the friendlies against malta and norway do you see like do you see him as a player with potential conan in terms of playing senior international football well, if Stephen Bradley and Stephen Kenny see him as potential, I'm just going to row in behind that and say yeah as well. Um, look, he's really, really talented. Um, injuries have kind of stopped him from probably going to the next level in terms of perhaps getting an international cap while playing in this country. That's what I'd like to see him still playing at Shamrock Rovers and uh, getting his cap at Ireland. Um, even for his goal the other day, he's um, he's just his, his awareness, his, his, his quick thought of just dropping in, getting into the box and at a lovely downward header, even the way he put it in was, was expertly taken. Um, he's very direct, gets the ball, he beats players really, really easily, but it's his football brain, I think, that stands him out above, above most. Um, it's just his, his awareness, his composure. Um, he's, as, as, like I said about um, Schneid Farley, he can see a pass. Um, so he's not just one-dimensional. In terms of being a wide player, he can. I'm sure he could play in a number of positions as well inside, um, and he's very, very good in the air for his height as well. So, look, he's he's a wonderful talent. I just hope that the injuries don't curtail his career. Um, I know his hamstrings have been a bit of an issue over the last number of years, um, but he's getting a good run in, run of it now, and hopefully he can kick on. Yeah, because Paul, like as uh, Conan mentioned there, his awareness was something that was very notable with that goal that he scored because it was actually in the moment, you know, I kind of, I saw Jack Byrne kind of, from the stands, I saw Jack Byrne kind of floating the ball in. What I don't think I realised live was that actually uh, it was Faruja who had picked up the ball at the edge of the box played it out or laid it off to burn and then followed his run which again um you know sometimes players make a pass but they don't you know they stand on ceremony and they don't follow it on but he, he showed a lot of awareness in that position to get back into the box and head it in he did and it's something that neil has, has needed to work on in his game i think you know conan has mentioned a number of his attributes there and he's an absolute nightmare to play against because he's so big he's so quick and he's so strong but where he has had to improve his game is, is just his involvements in the final third one with with setting up goals and assisting goals, but also scoring goals. Um, you know, we saw last year, particularly with Andy Lyons, when he played in that same position, how he was able to contribute a number of, of different ways, both defensively, but also in opponent's boxes. And, and he got goals and he eventually got a move. So I, I think we can kind of see a similar trade in Neil. Um, they're both playing as kind of inverted wing backs. And Neil has had to adapt to that position because he's he's been an out-and-out winger his, his whole career, particularly when he's at UCD and playing schoolboy at Belvedere. He was an out-and-out winger, whereas that wing back position is one that has probably taken a bit of time to learn. And the injuries that Conan mentioned haven't helped. But I think now we're starting to see the potential that Stephen Bradley and, and the management team would have seen when he was at UCD. Um, you know, like I mentioned, physically, he has absolutely everything to play at the top level. Uh, that probably comes very easy to him. And I think the minutes that he's getting under his belt are standing to him now. And I would expect that he will kick on from here. I would expect he would score more goals. I would expect he should assist more, in particularly in that Shamrock Rovers team. And if he does that, I, I don't think he'll be here too long. As long as he's able to stay injury-free and as long as he kind of continues in that upper trajectory, there's certainly a number of teams in the UK or even... In Europe, I, I know Neil is a, is a fluent French speaker as well. His, his family are, are from that neck of the woods. 
I wouldn't be surprised if, if he got a move um, that direction. But it all comes back to, like Colin mentioned, he needs a bit of luck to stay fit mm. and he, he needs to continue to improve. Um, but the parts of his game that he does quite easily are actually quite rare um, in, in the English game and, and also in Europe. So uh, I hope I hope he stays fit. I hope he continues. And Stephen Kenny loves a winger, so don't be surprised if he's in the next international squad. Yeah, let's let's see. Um, certainly Stephen Bradley was talking him off afterwards just to, to take the quote from him. Um, I have no doubt he has the potential to play for Ireland. He has all the attributes you'd want to play at that level. When he's uh, in the form he has all year, he's unplayable at the moment. And uh, there were a few other things, but it's up on the... Uh, up on rt.ie slash sport if you want to read the full uh, comments from Stephen Bradley. But um, at the same time, uh, Conan Shamrock Rovers, you know, we were, you know, we were talking about them struggling to to pick up a win. Now it's three on the trot and very much up and running and right on the tails of Derry. Yeah, and people were writing them off way too early because they were playing really, really well in those games that they weren't getting results in. Like even the, the, the court game, like the the Galway Crowley, obviously from the halfway line, and just put a da- put a dampener in it, and they they drop back a little bit. But the Pats game as well, when they two and up, only a, a wonder strike from Jake Mulroney, um in the at the death stopped them from getting the three points there. But they've been playing really really well mm-hmm. without picking up the results. So it was only a matter of time. And people, as I said, people were writing them off way too soon, considering the quality and how slow that Shamrock Rovers start seasons over the last number of years. Um, it was only a matter of time before they got going and it, that happened at Dundalk and with that fantastic 4-0 win. Um, coming into the derby then, there's talk, obviously, Bowes being so so far clear, but it was men against boys in the night. Obviously, Bowes did really, really well first 15 minutes, possibly should have taken the lead. Um, but from then on in, it was just absolute dominance and then you can see the quality in Graham Burke and Jack Byrne. Um, and when they turn it on, there's no, there's nobody that's going to going to stop those two players, um, especially when they combine with each other. They just have that nearly a sixth sense of where each other are going to be on a football pitch, um, and then that culminated obviously in the Trino win against Shamrock Rovers. Now they have they have two tough tasks coming up um, in the next two games. They have two Dublin derbies against Shelburne at home, obviously live in RT, and away at St Pat's. So they're two tough ties because. Shelburne, obviously, they, they got a good nil-all. Well, there was a, a nil-all draw, similar to last year, actually, at Talca Park. Very, very difficult place to go. Um, and they picked up a point. So um, they'll have them now at home. Bigger pitch, big 7,000 crowd around them. And I expect them to get a win there on, um, on Friday night. Yeah, and all the more yeah. impressive in the derby as well because they had a there was a bit of a fever in the camp as well. So there were a number of players. I think Johnny Kenny was one who came on as a sub later on, but uh, he was Pico was missing it. as well. Yeah, Pico Locus, was missing as well. Yeah. yeah, there were a few of them that were unable to start or just not available at all. But sorry, um, ref, yeah, sir, I I just think the manner the manner there and Conan has picked it out. The, he said men against boys, and really after twenty minutes or twenty five minutes, it was men against boys that would indicate that maybe come another nine or 10 games in the league, uh, we're likely to see one team with just green and white hoops being at the top of it. I mean, if they've, if that's the way things are going to go, it looks that way. Yeah, you know. but, for, but for the moment anyway, Bohemians uh, head yeah. the table and mm. they bounce back really well, uh, Paul. I mean, uh, coming off a chastening derby where, I mean, yes, as has been said, they, they were re- they were really good for the first 20 minutes, but then fell off completely for the for the remainder of the game. And afterwards, uh, Declan Devine had been talking about, you know, the need to be maybe psychologically better in those type of situations. And then to go to his former club, Derry City, who would be one of the pre-season favourites and then to go and, you know, keep a clean sheet and win 1-0. It's really impressive. 
Yeah, it is. And I think what you mentioned there, Raph, the fact that they kept a clean sheet will have really pleased uh, Declan Devine. Like, I, I thought they did okay against Shamrock Rovers. I think in that game, and particularly when you're playing a team like that and when you're on top, you need to score. And, and that was probably the piece of the jigsaw that was missing in their first half performance. But, I mean, the the testament to, to Bowes is that they have enough belief and they have enough confidence in their squad that they can make a couple of changes last night, put the result from Friday night behind them, which was a huge one given it was Dublin Derby, and go to Derry and win. Um, you know, I, I thought that was mildly impressive. I was delighted for Dean Williams. I think... He's had to had to bide his time and be patient to to start a game. Uh, I know it was a penalty that he scored, but just to to kind of lead the line and be the one who was able to to get them the three points, I was I was delighted for him. But you could look through the squad and maybe what Declan Devine has this year, what they haven't had in previous years, is just the ability to maybe chop and change personnel and and use that to his advantage. Even the likes of Chris Twardek coming in last night, a player who has extensive experience in the league. And to go to the likes of Derry and get a win. Um, it still leaves him top of the table. I'm sure if you had painted that picture for Declan Devine at the beginning of the season, he was bit would have bitten your hand off at that. And if they continue performances, I mean, they're certainly ahead of where I would have expected them to be at the, at the beginning of the season. I think the performances coupled with the points that they put together, it, it's been a really impressive turnaround given where they were last season. So if they could sprinkle two or three in, in the summer, and continue to build, Bowes will not be far away, Ralph. Yeah, they're uh, six clear at the moment of Derry, and then seven ahead of Shamrock Rovers and St. Pats, who have also bounced back in the last uh, couple of weeks. We'll get to Pats a little bit later on, but first Derry City, um, pretty bad weekend for them all in all, two one nil defeats at home, and we have been talking a lot about their home form, and there's been a lot of spotlight on it. When you look at how much point, how many points they've picked up from a possible 15, it's only five at home, and speaking afterwards, Rory Higgins uh, after the Bohemians game, he said, if you look at the last four home games against Dundalk, one of their players blatantly should have been sent off for cynical fouling. Against Sligo, we had a goal disallowed that shouldn't have been disallowed. Against Rada, they evened it up by giving Cameron, Cameron McJanet a second yellow that shouldn't have been a second yellow. And now Bowles have got a penalty tonight that shouldn't have been a penalty. Don't get me wrong, our home form hasn't been good enough, but that's unacceptable tonight. That, that penalty should have been a penalty and those types of decisions are costing us too much at the minute. Conan, um, do you think the uh, is there does he have a point in terms of the officiating, or do you kind of look at it deeper that there is a deeper reason for this sort of poor home home run in comparison to when they where they go away from home and they do tend to pick up points more readily? I think there's a bit of both in it, Raf. If I'm being completely honest, like I did listen to uh, Rudy's interview last night, and it made me just do a little bit of research on on the games that he was talking about. Obviously, I, I watched the Sligo game because it was live on RTE, and I think. In terms of the officiating that game, I think everybody can remember McGonagall's goal and the referee claiming it back, bringing it back because he didn't see the advantage. And then John Mahan putting up his his hand um, for a second yellow card. It was it was a second yellow. She should have been sent off. Um, so that was that game. And then McGonagall's goal or McJanet's second yellow on Friday didn't think it was. If I'm being totally honest, but having said that, I don't think. Um, a lot of people were talking about Adebayega's sending off. Shouldn't have been a sending off. I actually think it was. I think it was good officiating in that game in the sense that he he did go into, he, he lunged, his two feet left the ground and I can see from behind as well. So I can see why uh, the referee gave the red card um, in, there. Um, but the penalty the other night in Ben Doher, do you think Grant Horton just gave him a little shove in the back? I've seen them given and then other times you haven't. And then 
I do agree with the officiating in the sense that I thought it was a penalty. Um, Chris Twardak playing his first, his first start of the season, as, as Paul mentioned, um, just gets the better, gets gets the running and um, blocks him off. No attempt to play the ball, and it was a penalty. But having having said that, when I watched the penalty that that Dean Williams took, Chris Twardak's in the box when the when he when he's take when um, Dean Williams is is hitting a spot kick, so it should have been retaken. Um, so it's these little small bits that aren't helping things for, for Rory Higgins. Um, but having said that, I'll flip that and it's just the form, home form has been really poor. Um, I think it was May 2022 last year, they re- they really struggled. And now it's looking like April this mm. year that that, that Derry are, are really struggling. Shane McElhenney's header yesterday from the corner should have scored. Um, Jamie McGonagall has, has had numerous chances. Ollie O'Neill against Drogheda as well had a wonderful opportunity to score as well at nil all. Um, so there's plenty of times now where Derry really should be finishing these chances. And if you're going to be winning, wanting to be winning league titles, you're going to need players that are going to put the ball in the back of the net on a regular basis. Yeah, and uh, they weren't the only side to suffer back-to-back defeats over the weekend. And that's Dundalk as well, Paul. I mean, the last the last time there was a Friday-Monday, they won back-to-back games and after a fairly slow start of the season. But this weekend, the, the script has been flipped a little bit. And actually, when you look at the table albeit everything is still quite tight at the moment, but they're a third from bottom. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it, how quickly things can change in a 10-team in a league, and particularly when you have these back-to-back fixtures come kind of a Tuesday morning, you can you can sit a lot differently, and that's the case for Dundalk. I mean, they were a bit of an unknown quantity, I guess, Raf, given some of the players that they've signed, and we wouldn't have seen the majority of them in the league before, and, and sometimes you give them the benefit of doubt that, you know, it might take them a while to to settle in, but the Dundalk court game yesterday, I was just very surprised when I was looking back at it, how few chances they created. Um, particularly Cork have, have been a bit hit and miss themselves, given that a lot of the players they will have are quite young in their first time in the league. And you think a Dundalk team with the quality that they have will go down there and own possession and start creating a couple of chances to put them under pressure. But it didn't really look that way. It looked like Cork had by and large are the chances and and if anything they could have put the game to bed before they they had to kind of survive the last five ten minutes so i'm sure stevie o'donnell's looking at it and maybe a little worried um by some of the results the the game against shamrock rovers of course was was decided pretty much by robbie benson's red card and that changed the swing of of the momentum of that game but the results against sligo and the results against cork will will certainly not please them and it's the type of situation where you just want the next game to come around as quickly as possible turn the results around and try to get a bit of momentum behind their team because like i mentioned in a 10 team league if you lose three games on on the bounce you can find yourself kind of tumbling down the table and that's absolutely not what they want they want to kind of build something there they want to get european football again and uh yeah they're, they're going to need a, a change of performances because for the last kind of particularly last three four days that's not the standards that uh, O'Donnell and Colby wanted. Yeah, and then at the same time, Paul, UCD, when we, you know, where you look at them at the table, I mean, they had a very creditable nil-all draw um, against Shelburne, uh, yet, you know, you look at the table and again, they're seven points adrift to Cork City and like last season, they were vying with Finn Harp, so there was a little target there, but it seems like with Cork occasionally picking up victories here and there, they're just going to kind of disappear over the hill and you kind of wor- you worry about UCD from that point of view, especially on a psychological, um, you know, where there isn't a, a rival nearby to avoid um, automatic relegation. 
Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for them. I mean, we, we keep talking about the number of players that they've lost and the quality that they've lost from the squad. It's always cyclical with UCD. You get a really good crop in. Um, they will naturally develop and then they'll move on. And it's just a very young crop of players that they have at the moment. And you could see even in, in the play last night, Raf, they're very open at times and, and they're probably too open, particularly when you're playing against the likes of a Shamrock Rovers. And if you look at the game against Pats as well, similar, um, you know, getting counterattacked, probably being a bit too open when maybe they should just sit in and defend. And that just comes with experience. And you might see that they'll, they'll turn in the second half of the season when players start getting a bit more used to playing at this level. But it's going to be very difficult. And I would say it's probably going to be next to close to impossible to, to have any sort of chance of, of catching the likes of Cork. I'm sure Cork are looking at Drahada, and Drahada will be looking at Cork. And they'll always be monitoring the gap between the two teams there. And they're probably the sides, you know, you look at the budgets, look at, at the situation of both those clubs. I'm sure both of them will bite your hand off of just staying in the division this year. So that's how you would expect it to, to pan out. Do I expect that Dundalk will be eighth come the end of the season? No. Um, I'm sure they'll pick up and they'll find themselves probably mid-table, maybe pushing for Europe. But for UCD, for Cork and for Drogheda, I'm sure it's going to be a slog down the bottom of the table. Yeah, and then Conan, from a Shelburne point of view, so they couldn't, uh, you know, again, they created a host of chances, just like they did in the uh, the first round of action in the season when they played Drada, created a lot of chances, couldn't score. This time it was against UCD, and then um, their luck was in against Sligo with the uh, the fortuitous winning goal that uh, <laughs> kind of came off John Mann's head. Yeah, and he Damien Duff was looking for a reaction and... Um, dropping, I suppose, Shane Farrell to the bench on, on last night when it was looking looking for a little point to prove from Shane because I think Damien Duffy really likes Shane as a football player um, but he hasn't reached the standards that he has set from last season and um, again, just wanted to, to show him that not, no player is indispensable um, but then you go 1-0 down um, and again from another set piece that Shells are really struggling with at, at this season um, and he makes three changes at halftime, taking off the two Wilson brothers and, and Keen Levy. Um, and you're just looking for, at that stage, and as, a, as a manager, you're just looking for a response. And it was instant, in, ter- in fairness to, to young Shane, um, creates the goal for Maddie Smith, albeit I thought it was a foul on Will Fitzgerald in the lead-up to the goal. Um, Frank Levac gets caught underneath the ball. Wonderful first touch by, by Maddie Smith and a wonderful finish. His first goal of the season, and you're expecting more from him as well considering the, the heights that he has hit at previous clubs in, in, in this league. Um, and then the fortuitous winner that you will take all day long. The, pr- the, the problem with Shelburne is that they've only scored six goals this season, Raph, and two of them have been OGs. Josh Honan scored an OG uh, um, for Cork mm-hmm. against them. Um, and then obviously John Mahan last night. So they're missing that out-and-out goal scorer. And Jack Moylan, I've spoke so highly of him over the last number of years when he was with Bohemians and, and when he was with Wexford on loan and even when he was with Shells last year. The only thing missing from his game is his finishing. He gets into wonderful positions with his uh, his quick feet and his agility, um, but his finishing lets him down. It just needs a little bit more composure. He had a wonderful opportunity to put the ball into net at, at nil all in the game yesterday and he hit it straight at, at McNicholas. Um, and even Sligo themselves had a wonderful chance. Will Fitzgerald, talking about poor finishing, Will Fitzgerald has scored two league goals in 130 games as a <laughs> wide man. It's not a, it's not ideal for, for a wide player, but he's put through one-on-one and hits the crossbar. So um, it could have been, it, it was nip and tuck for the first, for the opening opening uh, 40 minutes until Daniel Lafferty's goal. 
but Shells would be delighted. Um, as I said, they've got they've only scored six goals, but they've got three three good three very very good victories, and they've the best defense in the league along with Derry, only conceding five. So, um, tough ask going to Tallas, like I said earlier on, um, but one that they won't they won't mind taking. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, on that one as well, yeah. Raph. You know, Sean Boyd was was a big part of what Shells did last year, and like Colin has mentioned, you can, you can almost feel. The, the loss of Sean when he's not there, he leads the line quite well. And himself and, and Jack have caused a number of problems for different back fours or back fives last season. So I'm sure they are eager to get him back. He can contribute at that top end of the table or top end of the pitch. And if you can combine that with their good defensive record, I, I think you could see a little bit of a turn in some of their results. Yeah, so actually just on that, because I wanted to ask uh, in terms, because their defensive record is brilliant. I was just wondering, um, and you kind of have both answered it there. So it's you feel it's more of a personnel issue rather than, um, say, balance of the side, maybe that it might be a little bit too defensive. Maybe Paul first and then I'll get Conan's thoughts. Yeah, listen, I think to be fair to Shells, they've always been very well set up um, under Damien Duff and they've always been a difficult team to break down. And I'm sure that is in a way playing to the strength of the personnel, Raph. I think you have to play to the strength of your players and maybe they don't feel that they can be overly expansive maybe against the the top teams in the league and maybe they're better off frustrating and hitting on the counter-attack. And when you look at when they were successful last year, whether it be the likes of Moylan, Matty Smith or Sean Boyd, they've got legs at the top end of the pitch. And when you maybe take one of them out, it becomes a more difficult game, whether they can't get in behind opposition or they find it hard to maybe have a sustained bit of possession on the top end of the pitch. And I think Sean is probably one of the better number nines within the league in doing that. And I think when he comes back in, he gives them a, an extra dimension and, and another goal-scoring threat. So I think they're doing very well with the with the resources that they have there. And I'm sure that the style of play is, is based around the players that he has. But yeah, I think even one player coming back in with, with that sort of quality can make a big difference. Yeah, and Conan, similar view, that maybe it's just, uh, again, maybe getting a key uh, forward player back in rather than making like a tweak to a system or maybe altering the balance of the side to be more a little bit more forward thinking. Oh, I think their system really, works really well for them. Um, like Paul says, I think that the box in midfield that they, they usually play um, works really, really well for them. Um, Sometimes I think that the possibly that some of the midfielders they have are very defensive minded, like JJ Lunny and Gavin Malloy. Um, and you have Mark Coyle as well. Like the and sometimes they all play Brian McManus as well. So you just you might you might think that, yeah, put an extra attacker on and get up the pitch, but then you're 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 losing out on that defensive record that they have, and they might be a ex- little bit more exposed. Um, and I think if you keep a clean sheet, you have a better chance of winning the game. And with the likes of Sean Boyd, like Paul said, he led the line really, really well. He hit double figures last year, really, really good. Get puts himself about. Shells don't have that this season in in in, in the attacking third. Um, they have players that have, have quick feet, trick, uh, loads of tricks, um, but not that number nine that will c- c- kind of interrupt defenses and put pressure on them. And that's what they're lacking. So. I think Sean's not going to be back until at least the uh, the mid after the mid season break. Um, so I think maybe this is a I'm not going to say it's a lesson for Damien Duff, but in order to to kind of ensure that you do really really well in the division, you need to have a, a backup striker to Sean Boyd, and I just don't think they have it. They have um, Kyle Robinson, obviously, um, but he's still very very young, and um, yeah, he he wouldn't be as 
efficient as Sean Boyd in that area. Yeah, and Jim, on the Sligo point of view, what's the general view in the in the county about Rovers' season so far under John Russell? Because the results, I mean, you look at the weekend where they go to Dundalk and win yeah. 2-1, and then obviously the, the goal that was, that was conceded uh, against Shelburne was a little bit unlucky, but uh, mm. it, the season has been this kind of uh, ups and then quickly followed by down and then an up and a down yeah. and an up and a down. It's definitely that... Um... Raf, I think the view. So I think people are relatively happy with the way they've the club have uh, the way they've played so far. Like, but still, look, it, it is up and down. Like the three wins, three draws, and three losses. You know what I mean? And particularly in after beating Dundalk, and I think that was a good win the other night. They were probably then looking at shells. They've got Drogheda at home. They've got UCD at home. They were looking at getting nine points from those three games, you know, and that would really and because the table is is so tight at the moment. I mean, like there's only four points separating, I think, from uh, from second down to ninth. Um, I think the view in Sligo is they they do expect the team to be definitely pushing for a top four place this season. Uh, but as you said, it has been like there's been some really good performance. I thought the first night against Shamrock Rovers was really really good. Got a deserved draw late on. Uh, but then some of the, the away to Drogheda was poor. Um, they against Bohemians at home two weeks ago. They had really, I think, they had about sixty percent of the of the ball, but didn't really do a lot with it. And then got sucker punch late on. Okay, they followed up with a good win on Friday night, but the defeat last night, albeit rather freakly, and I, I, I do see, I do see, I do feel sorry for John Mahan and and all that, but. I would just hope with, with Sligo now starting the second quarter of the season that they get that they are a bit more consistent. Even though, Raph, when you were talking earlier about Derry and, and the pitch up there and all that, but Sligo did, you know, they had a couple of players got injured that night. So like that, you know, hasn't helped either. But they'd be looking to be a bit more consistent going forward, definitely. Yeah, and Paul, from Drody United's point of view then, I mean, yes, the defeat to Pats last night would have been disappointing going down uh, 3-1, but, you know, when they come out of this weekend beating Derry City away from home, they're going to take a lot from that. Absolutely. I mean, given the fact that the sending off happened in the 26th minute and they were able to hold out against a Derry team that is aflush with attacking players and creative talent, I mean, that will give, I'm sure, Kevin Doherty a major boost. So... Yeah, I mean, the, the result last night was was not ideal, but when you factor in the two teams that they were playing, if you'd given them three points before, I'm sure they would have been happy with that. I thought the way they held out against Derry was was particularly good. I, I thought it showed maybe an experience beyond some of those players' years. And, uh, you know, you, you keep yourself in that game. You hope that a referee's going to even it up and you wait for a set piece where maybe you can feel like you can nick a result. And they did that really well, I'm sure. Off the back of that result, they're probably thinking, okay, bring St. Pat's down our home turf, make it difficult for them. And they just coughed up maybe one or two sloppy mistakes that is probably a bit uncharacteristic with that squad. And when you do that against the likes of St. Pat's, given the form that they've shown in the last couple of weeks, I don't think they were going to give you much of an opportunity to get back in. But it's always a bit of an uphill battle for Drogheda, um, just given purely from a resource point of view, what they're competing with. Uh, they do it very well. They they work well within their resources. And they're similar to Shells in the sense that they're, they're set up, they're disciplined, they're difficult to break down. And with the players that they have on the top end of the pitch, they're always likely to nick a goal. Um, did that very well against, against Derry. Are they going to be the most consistent team in the league? No, but they're a very difficult team to play against. 
Yeah, and Conan, from Pats' point of view, of course, as well, they they had that really bad run of uh, of defeats, which had started off and sparked by um 5-0 defeat against Dundalk. But they've really, they seem to have, um, they seem to have bounced back fairly well in the last few weeks and eased any pressure there. And uh, very coincidentally, you look at the list of scorers in the last few weeks, Jake Mulraney seems to have really uh, stepped up a gear and also Chris Forrester kind of back to his best as well. Yeah, I, I, Questioned the team Raf after the Bohemians game. Um, when I was sitting in the in the stands watching that game, I was just a performance. It was really, really poor, lackluster. Didn't the players weren't didn't seem like they were the better the, the, the team that worked harder won the game in Bohemians that night. And that, that's the basics of football. You, you work hard, and I didn't see Pats working hard that night. Um, but from that from that game, they picked up a great point as I mentioned earlier on up in Tala, and then they've. Won three in the trot. Now, albeit against teams that I probably that will probably finish eighth, ninth, and tenth in the division. But having said that, you need to go and 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 beat those teams. And they've scored ten goals and conceded one in those three games. And like you said, Mulraney now has has gone out on that left, and his pace and directness and sharpness is just a joy to see. Now he did come off after very early, yes, 23, 24 minutes yesterday. So I don't know whether that was. Um, um, if that's going to be long term or or not, but or it was just a precaution. But he's been absolutely fantastic in those in the last couple of games. Starting off with that goal against Tala against Shamrock Rovers and Tala, and like you said, Chris Forrester, a dejected figure in the Bohemians game, um, throwing his arms up, wasn't happy with the players and performances around him. It was very noticeable. But again, leads by example, does really really well and, and gets his two goals yesterday um, in in that fantastic win. So. I think a lot of credit has to be given to Dean Linus as well in goals. He came in um, after that game um, against Bowes and has performed really, really well. A couple of great stops in the, in the Shamrock Rovers game. Um, he's come in from Airdrie in, in Scotland and um, he's been really, really good. And I think a word of mention, I think we have to note, is Jason McClelland. Um, completely out of favour at Pats and, and comes in um, after the, in the, I think it was the Cork game. May possibly the court game, um, and he's played the last three games. Started every he hasn't didn't get a minute up until that point. Started the last three games and even got himself a goal last week. So, um, delighted for him because he's a, he's one of those players that he just knuckles down and and does his job very very professional. And um, delighted for him to to see him doing so well. Yeah, and Jim, as uh, Paul mentioned earlier in regards to Cork City, I mean they seem to have much the better of the game in terms of chan- in terms of chances against Dundalk, and uh, especially coming off the back of a four 0 defeat at Pats, um, and you know the home form at Turner's Cross is going to be massive for them. So to get a one 0 win there and just remain on the coattails of the, the, yeah. know, the massive clubs above them is going to be it's going to be key for them. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, and and they probably feel that they can stay that they can stay above the coattails. Because I certainly was worried for Cork when I saw them the first night against Bohemians, particularly that first half performance. I I, I thought they were poor. Okay, they did grow into it a bit more after that. But I thought last night's performance. I think they dug in. I think they you know didn't create a whole lot after after they scored. But you know I, I think Cork probably in the playing personnel that they have. 
might just have enough, you know, that, the, that the, they should be targeting to finish that sort of coveted eighth position that will stay them, that will stay clear of, will have them staying clear of the playoff as well. And I think it, look, it's only good for the league. I mean, Cork is such a great ground. I mean, Turner's Cross when it's full, it's, it's hopping and all that. And uh, they're definitely a good addition to have back in the league this year. Yeah, and uh, just a reminder, of course, Shabbat Rovers against Shelburne this Friday. Uh, Coverage mm-hmm. starts at 7.35 and kick off at 8pm. So RT2 and the RT player. And in the first division on Friday, Waterford continued their revival uh, within the uh, the Keith Long era now, winning 3-1 at Cove Ramblers. Bray Wanderers beat at Lone 1-0, so Bray are up to second. Galway United now 8 from 8, 4-0 winners at Wexford. And then Treaty United got their first win of the campaign, uh, beating Longford Town 3-2. And then Kerry FC came very close to picking up their first win, but uh, Finn Harps found an equaliser, so it ended up being 1-1 there. As it stands on the table, Galway United up uh, well clear of uh, Bray Wanders, uh, Galway have 24 points, Bray uh, nine points behind them on 15. But Waterford, having uh, now won a couple of times under Keith Long, are now um, up to 14 points alongside Cove Ramblers. And then um, towards the bottom, Longford and Treaty on six points, and Kerry FC two draws so far. So uh, two points on the board there. Paul, um, I suppose very briefly on the first division here, um, Bray Wanders, I mean, um, I was talking to Ian Ryan at the launch at the start of the season, and he was quietly optimistic. But, you know, given what had happened at Bray last season, um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had huge expectations about them, but they've been really impressive so far this season. Yeah, they have. And I, I think that's kind of a continuation for Ian Ryan and, and the job that he did at Wexford. Um, I think he probably punched above his weight while he was in that job and he had a good kind of eye for bringing in younger players from outside and, and developing them on. And I'm sure he he wouldn't have taken that job at Bray unless he felt like there was an alignment of, I guess, you know, a, a strategy amongst the club and he was able to bring in good players. I mean, he brought a couple from, from Wexford with them, but even having the likes of, you know, a Chris Lyons and a, and a Dane Massey in that squad playing at that level will will always kind of get you over the line in certain games. But it started very well for him. I, I'm sure he's absolutely delighted with how they're how they've started the season. And um, you know, it, it would be good to see Bray go on a bit of a run. I think you know, anytime I was playing in division, they were always a Premier Division club. I think they've maybe suffered in the last few years. So it's nice to see that that bit of a turn. I think it's going to be difficult to stay. With the, with the likes of Galway and I would I would fully expect that Keith Long at Waterford will push them and it'll be a, a sprint between the two of those teams to win that division but for how Brave started uh, you know uh, it, it's not too much of a surprise given what Ian Ryan did at, at Wexford and, and his CV and his reputation continues to rise yeah, um, before we talk about the Champions League, and we've got a live match uh, tonight as well, um, Conan, I suppose in the Championship, Vincent Company's Burnley are up, but from an Irish perspective, obviously the most important thing is we have a small contingent of players there with uh, Josh Cullen going to be playing Premier League football next year, and he's always central to anything Company has done previously at Anderlecht, and then Michael Abafemi obviously got his move um, in January so and, and then on top of it Sheffield United of course as well look primed to take that second spot so John Egan returning to the Premier League at a time where maybe we're we haven't had too many Irish players in the uh, in the English top flight in recent years Yeah it's great to see and, and Josh Cullen being massively part of that 
Burnley team that got promoted, obviously coming in from with Vincent Company. I mentioned last year when Vincent Company got the job, I think it was on the RT Soccer Podcast, whether he'd bring Josh Cullum with him. And he did. And it was a, a, a wonderful signing for the club. Um, and like with Michael Obafemi coming in as well, Dara Costello was out on loan. Will he come back and get his chance in, in the Premier League as well, which will, which will be absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, just fantastic to see John Egan as well at Sheffield United coming through hopefully Ender Stevens gets back in, into into good full fitness too um, so yeah it's just it's great to see because that's where we're lacking in international football is that quality in the Premier League and um, hopefully they can establish themselves as, as Premier League teams and, and go from there yeah, because I'm sure like it's helped Gavin Bazuna in terms of experience. Even though mm. I'm sure with Southampton kind of looking at them, Jim, uh, they're uh, they're going to be they're probably going down. I mean, based probably. on this, this season, so it's it's, it's going to be a short stay in terms of him in the Premier League. Yeah. But uh, they might be able to bounce back pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it does look. Yeah, it does look like Southampton. Uh, I think Forest and maybe one from a couple of others after that. But just talking about managers, Raf and. I know yesterday had Dean Smith has been giving a got the job for what the eight weeks at Leicester. This after Roy Harsland got the job for eight weeks. But I see this morning Noel Hunt, uh, former Irish international, is now the interim manager at Reading uh, for the rest of the season. Paul Ince got the sack there. So th- th- there seems to be these uh, short term stopgap managers in the in the last couple of days in the English football as well. But yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, sad about Gavin. Like obviously, I mean Southampton, but they, but they've had a a poor enough season. I mean, obviously they changed manager and all that, and uh, yeah, it would um, it it would be hard to see them survive at this point. Uh, but good to see Burnley coming up, and also as well, I think yesterday on a completely Wrexham. You know, people have talked about Wrexham and the Hollywood factor. They won that key promotion game yesterday to get to the league. I think that takes them on to one hundred and three points uh, in the league this year, which is which is which is which is really quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah. There's the Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Rob Reynolds. Rob McElhenney from Rob uh, McElhenney. It's always sunny, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> which is uh, has led to a lot of attention down sure. there. Um, yeah. But uh, no, also, um, I know that a lot goes on in It's Always Sunny in uh, in Philadelphia. I do, I do love that show now. But in fairness. A lot happened also, uh, Paul, in terms of Liverpool and Arsenal on Sunday. I mean, you have everything from uh, a supposed, well, an apparent. Uh, uh, contact between Andy Robertson and an assistant referee's elbow. You have uh, Liverpool mounting a comeback. You have Xhaka uh, possibly actually leading to Liverpool uh, making that uh, that comeback to make it two two. Like it was a brilliant game all in all. And obviously Roy Keane's reaction to the whole Robertson thing as well was kind of funny as well. Yeah, Roy Keane called him big baby. Oh, <laughs> it was the, it was the third it was the third baby I think that did it because he said it twice and then there's a pause and then he just kind of throws it in again. Sent Mika Richardson Co off, but it was it was a superb game of football. I mean, there was there was so many swings in, and I thought Arsenal were in absolute cruise control when they went two 0 up, and you kind of felt like one more would would really put it to bed. And then there was obviously the incident with with Saka and Liverpool go down the other end and score. Um, I thought, you know, given what's happened at Liverpool over the last kind of couple of months, given the first half performance, I thought the bounce back in the second half was was superb. Um, I know Trent Alexander-Arnold has come under a lot of pressure and rightly so for, for some of his defensive displays, but I thought in the second half he was absolutely excellent. Mm. The ball in and the piece of individual skill to go past Inchenko and then float the ball back to, to Bobby Firmino was superb. And once it went to 2 all, you were kind of looking at it thinking it was like a game of basketball. It was just going from end to end. And uh, the save from Aaron Ramsdale, 
uh, the deflected one was just world class. Um, how he's managed to get his hand to that, I do not know. And then there's the Kanate miss. And then I felt like Gabriel Martinelli should have absolutely slipped Saka in and could have gone on and win and won that game. So I, th- I think when Arteta and I think when Arsenal reflect on us, they'll be happy to get out of there with a point. It, it does obviously tighten the gap now with Man City and that game between the two teams is, is going to be probably pivotal. If, if Arsenal can get three points there, I would fully expect that they go on and win the win the league given given the gap that that will create between the two teams. But when you compare the run-ins, Arsenal is, is certainly a more difficult run of fixtures and they've got to play some big teams and informed teams, whereas Man City's just looks a, a little bit easier. Yeah, I think I think Paul, I think the, I think Arsenal, I think they still have to play Newcastle, which really will be a tough one because Newcastle want to cement that top four place as well. Yeah, especially with like five. Well, there's a uh, what Spurs are in it now. Obviously, as uh, Spurs are in it, yeah. Seen um, firsthand are still kind of in that race. Um, I think Liverpool are sort of out of it, and then United have uh, sort of bounced back a bit. But then Rashford's picked up an injury, so we don't really know the extent of that. But uh, in terms of uh, Man City, though, uh, Conan, I mean. Uh, yes, they might have the slightly easier run in in the Premier League, but they've got a, the massive distraction of the the Champions League. Not that they will look at it as a distraction. Uh, Bayern Munich is who they're uh, playing tonight, of course, live on RT two and the RT player. It's set up to be massively intriguing because Bayern Munich seem to be a bit unconvincing in the Bundesliga this season. They're they're involved in a battle as well with Borussia Dortmund. They've changed manager from Nagelsmann and uh, Thomas Tuchel, who knows Man City very well, having come up against them and beaten them in a Champions League final. And I think his record against Pep isn't bad when it comes to Chelsea City previously three wins and two defeats. It like I'm, it's a very hard one to call. I mean, they're they're two of the big big dogs in Europe. Oh, it's- I'm really looking forward to it. Like you probably can and see it, see it in my voice. Um, just in the sense of the attacking threat from both teams, um, Mane, Sane, Gnabry, Thomas Muller, Bayern, and then obviously with De Bruyne, Silva, Mares, Jack Grealish has been absolutely unstoppable the last number of weeks. I've been really, really impressed with him. And then just just a little Holland up top as well, just for 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 measure, good good measure too. Um, yeah, so really, really looking looking forward to the defensive displays from both teams with those attacking players in the lineup. So really looking forward to that. But look, if Haaland's on 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 point, um, and Grealish and Mares are supplying him with the ammunition that they're capable of, De Bruyne also add him in as well. I do think Man City have a wonderful chance of going all the way in this Champions League campaign. Um, I think the winner comes from this this game. If I'm being completely honest, um, Thomas Tuchel has come in. He got a Good away result against Freiburg in, in the Bundesliga at the weekend. They won 1-0, having been defeated by them in the cup la, in midweek last week. Um, so just a just a really good game that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. I can see it being end-to-end. Um, Musiala as well. Re, um, I think he's I think he's brilliant. Really, really good player. Um, and looking forward to seeing how he gets on at, at the, at, in this type of game as well. Um but yeah, just really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Paul, on, on the same side as Raw on Wednesday, then uh, Chelsea against Real Madrid. And um, I think the last time I was talking to you, Graham Potter was still in situ, but we were coming off the back of the what was happening in January and their, their terrible form. Since then, a lot has changed. Frank Lampard has made a uh, the return. It's the return of the prodigal son almost, uh, but without the managerial bounce either at the weekend. I mean, they lost to Wolves, and even though Real Madrid lost to Villarreal um, on, at the weekend, it, 
you know, they they trashed Barcelona in the second leg of their Copa match or Copa semi-final match just a few days before that. So it like I don't know, like Chelsea, Chelsea have proved before in the Champions League sometimes when you don't expect when when you least expect it, they can turn up. But this is as hard a challenge as they're gonna ever have. It would be so Chelsea like, wouldn't it, to go on and win the Champions League from here? Um <laughs> I, I don't see it happening. I, I certainly didn't give them much hope when I when I saw Real Madrid last week. I mean, Vinicius Jr. and Benzema going forward are, are just so potent in it in attack. And you know, they showed that last year in, in the Champions League as well, how kind of lethal they can be. There's there's a part of me, Raf, and I said it before the Borussia Dortmund game that I thought that they might actually go on and have a bit of run in the Champions League. And there's some part of me that still thinks that they might actually go past Real Madrid. I think the players have in some way just thrown in the tell with, with regards to the Premier League. And I, I don't, you know, there's naturally enough no path forward there for, for European football or at least European football that they want to be a part of. And if they can put it together, I, I don't think Real Madrid are untouchable. Uh, I think there's certainly kind of weaknesses and gaps in their team that you can expose. But if if you're not quite at it, they can also show that if, if they put it together for 10, 15 minutes, they can kind of blitz you. Um, yeah, Benzema at the top end of the pitch. So I give Chelsea a chance. I think coming back to Stamford Bridge with a result will will be fundamental, even if it's just one goal behind. And they showed last year when they played Real Madrid in the Champions League, they can cause some problems when they go forward. So I'm uh, I'm very hopeful. There's a part of me that says Chelsea are going to go through over this two-legged tie, which is I'm sure is against what many people will tip. <laughs> maybe just that's the blue that runs through me. Yeah, do you feel like you look? Uh, obviously, when they when they won it back in 2012, they had that spine of Drogba, Czech, Terry, Lampard, and uh, there was an inference that they the, that dressing room sort of managed itself. And Roberto Di Matteo was just nominally there as head coach, which is probably a disservice to him. I'm sure he had some sort of role, but it was essentially player led. But do you look at this Chelsea squad, and a lot of them are very young players. And do you look at it and think, you know, maybe that that same sort of character isn't there, especially with the lack of experience? Oh, the, the characters are absolutely not there. And you only have to look down through the spine of the team. I think Kepa is weak. Enzo Fernandez is obviously quite um, young in his career. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's won mm-hmm. the World Cup, but he's probably not played at, at that level for a sustained period of time. Havertz at the top end of the pitch does not give you confidence that he's ever going to score when he goes through and goal. They're certainly missing the likes of a Thiago Silva who, who can slot into that back two or back three but yeah I mean they do not have have the characters what they previously had I think if they are to have a chance Raph, there's absolutely no way in hell Lampard can go with a back four again um, he played it against Wolves on the weekend and they just don't have the, the personnel Cucurella's been really poor this season Koulibaly doesn't have the legs to play in a four so if they are to have a chance against Real Madrid you have to sure up with a back five and you have to make it difficult for them and try flood particularly in those areas and then look to counter-attack but they have, I mean, when you put the names down on paper, they certainly have the players and they have the quality to, to cause teams problems. And they've done it once or twice this year. They have not done it nearly enough. And just purely on that basis, I give them a chance. And I know Real Madrid are Champions League winners. I've watched a number of their games in La Liga this year. There are frailties in that team and um, there are yeah. ways to get at them. And if they have an off night in Chelsea, you have two good ones. You never know what might happen. I suppose the, I suppose the only issue with Chelsea, Paul, is they 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 just can't put the ball in the back of the net. It's, 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 that's been their Achilles' heel for the last few games. Yeah, and Joe Felix has been excellent um, yeah. in, in different games, and he's so creative and he's so natural with the ball at his feet. But 
put him in front of goal. He just can't seem to hit yeah. back. Same to be said for for Havertz, Raheem Sterling when he's been in there, Ziyech, whoever, even Kovacic has had chances. It's just not happened for them. And that's been the case for a long period of time. It was the same the year they won the Champions League. Werner could not hit the back of the net in, in the league. And any time it came to Europe, they just seemed to find a bit of form. So I don't know. Maybe Real Madrid coming out and attacking and Chelsea hitting on the counter-attack might yeah. suit. Um, don't be shocked if we're sitting here in two weeks and Chelsea being knocked out 5-1 in aggregate. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or anyway, look, we as we've heard, Frank Lampard's going to be a Champions League winning manager somehow by the, <laughs> by the time we get to we get to June. But anyway, that is it uh, for this yeah. week's podcast. So okay. um Champions League, um, which is City against Bayern Munich live on RT2 and the RT player. There's also the Ireland women's playing USA Wednesday early hours, but you can catch it on the RT player afterwards. And then of course Shamrock Rovers against Shelburne yeah. on Friday night. But uh lads, uh, thanks very much for your time okay. and uh we'll uh, catch up soon. Okay. Thank you, Raf. Thanks, Raf. Thanks, Raf.